0: Hello and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast, a podcast aimed at providing a platform to promote the excellent work that the political members and officers of local authorities are doing to overcome the increasing challenges facing the communities across the UK. Additionally, we will be promoting the wider way of career opportunities that exist within local government. We hope this podcast will help drive engagement between the public and local authorities across the UK. It's interesting, I mean, just, you know, meeting you two today for the first time, but having had a look at the kind of the content that you put out and the reputation you have within your industries, I can see this next point I'm going to ask you about. It's something that is kind of synonymous with the way in which you are, this passion you have, but it's getting to the why, the interrogation of the client as to, why though? What you know, so for example, rather than just looking at technology as the solution to different problems, you know, yourself as part of the supply chain as part of the solution, really drilling down and asking them why. How hard is it, Robin, to get a client to articulate why they want to do something? Do you
1: know I think I think it's a great question. I don't always think it's difficult to get them to articulate why, because most organisations in in local authority have got really clear mission statements. And that is because they're trying to drive an outcome for a resident. And normally that's what we see. So when we get to the why, the why normally boils down to one or two things. We're trying to get to an outcome that is going to deliver you know, a better outcome for that resident. But is also at the same time going to drive down the cost of delivering that because there is so much pressure in the system around how we can do things more efficiently, what a saving looks like, that that is really driving it. So we either get to the point where we're looking at you know, what is that outcome that we're, we're trying to drive or we get to the point where it's what is the revenue that we think we can create by doing this new whatever it might be. And to help to help us you know bring more revenue into again, be able to put back in the funnel of how we're actually you know providing the care and compassion that is needed for vulnerable individuals. Those for me, tend to be the two things that most people are looking at. Sometimes you do get tech blindness when we are talking with you know it professionals, where it's is tech blindness here's this great thing, and AI is a phenomenal example of it where, yeah, AI apparently can solve everything. It can do a lot of things, but you need to be very, very you know, deliberate about what you're looking to do with it. Think about you know, ethical uh, guardrails and everything like that as you're going. But you can get caught up with the shiny. And we've seen that where tech has been delivered. Whilst there's an outcome that is expected, the organization aren't taking on the journey, you end up with a failed project. So I think people are normally fairly clear as to the why. I think actually the, the journey sometimes is the bit that, not enough attention is paid to and that's where you do get the divide between what the solution can do the culturally what the organization is prepared to take on
0: that's really interesting i mean just on that point there derek in terms of actually there's a there's a word here enablement you know how is technology able to enable these goals around supporting the community and financial pressures um or, or is it only dependent on actually the, the cultural buy-in and the top-down buy-in to the approach
2: that's as important Um, Well, I'll start with the first question. Can technology enable um, a a more effective delivery in a local authority? Hell yes, is my answer. Uh, If you look at the spending patterns that we're seeing, when we look at a local authority, I'd say less than 10% of their investments going to anything around IT. It's almost all human capital, investing in people running a manual process. As their budgets shrink, or we've seen budget shrink recently at least, um, the pressure really goes to that 90%. We're asking those people who are in the business to do more with less resources. So that is a absolute perfect place to go leverage technology. Now, that being said, what we, what we see is kind of a, um, a two-part conversation. One, we'll talk to a purchasing manager who's looking to save money on the current product they've currently purchased from us, and they're just looking to replace the current thing. That siloed approach does get some cost savings and, and operational efficiencies for the for the local authority, but won't ever get the level of impact they could have by going up and say, our strategy is to integrate these 14 things that we're doing with you into a holistic plan to go solve this problem for, for customers in a more cost-effective way. So it really depends on where the interface is. So um, Robin, if, he's, if, if Robin's interfacing with the CEO, the CIO, absolutely, we're having those strategic conversations too whenever we're interfacing with a person who's been asked to go renew the agreement or extend the agreement or expand it they're they're not usually given the remit or the ability to go out and have that strategic conversation about what's the art of the possible what what could we do instead here so i think that's where we've got um, a two-part conversation and this is not not trying to be too pushy and say that it's not great but there is an opportunity here for us to have more thoughtful conversations um, where they are sometimes transactional, especially with vendors like ourselves.
0: So do you think then, Derek, that, you know, the solution isn't necessarily, is this is, is a solution to procure new technology? Or do you think that customers need to make better use of technology they have by having, you know, people in their supply chain who can really advise them with a strategic solution about how the
2: current technology could be used at a better or more optimal way? yeah i think you can't have one without the other i think going out and purchasing hardware and hoping it works out or software and hoping it works out is a bad idea and um, having that strategic conversation first enables you to have thoughtful conversations about either reuse of existing technology or purchasing new things there are, there are absolutely local authorities there that need to purchase new software their software is antiquated it won't work or worse their teams are tracking things on um, spreadsheets right now and that's that's a piece of software that that they're primarily using so these there are absolutely opportunities for tools but switching straight to the technology stack first before having a thoughtful discussion around why you want to achieve this uh, will prevent you from getting the effectiveness of that technology so it's really that um, I feel like we keep keep saying this on this podcast, you know, what talk first, the big strategy, big vision first. Um, it is really important that it gets cascaded throughout the business and they know they have the permission to have a horizontal conversation, uh, that they have the they have the permission to go out and have a chat about what we could do instead of just renew the existing product or just um, replace it with a new vendor. There, there are other options out there that um, solve problems in a way that they aren't they weren't solved before. One of the key things that we
0: have to uh, engage when we work with local authorities is social value. It's really important, obviously, because um, we need to ensure that money is being spent, uh, the social, you know, the the, the purse is being spent in a way in which not only is it generating best value, but it's also meeting uh, the societal needs. Um, Robin, if you can talk to me a bit about, um, you know, how can digital technologies help make social value ambitions a reality?
1: Such a big question, such a big topic, isn't it? I I, I go back to, if I give you an example, so last week um, here at Microsoft we ran a load of events for National Apprentice Week, right? And we brought together in that a number of individuals from private sector and a number from public sector, local authorities and employers within the region. And, and actually what we were talking about in that conversation was a lot less about the the technology and the what it could do actually what we were talking about is the skills and the pathway for creating those skills into employment roles within a region and then what does that flow of talent look like as people go through further stages of the career and they start you know growing economically in terms of how that then goes back into the region but the key here was what does that pathway look like? And how do we create that pathway in such a way that we, if you think about the the expected wave um, moving forwards that many of the senior politicians are banking on at the moment around you know, how we better use data, how we better use AI uh, to support the economy in the UK. Actually, how is it we science? to think about what that wealth distribution looks like, both geographically, but also within every segment of society. And it's not something that gets pocketed into a certain small beneficial group of individuals within society. So actually, for me, when we start talking about social value, I think that there's a real conversation we need to have around how are we understanding the network of a region? By which I mean, if you go and look at Devo deals, whether you're talking about a Devo deal for the Northeast, Devo deal for Cornwall, Devo deal for Nottingham and Derby, you know, actually, they've all got different components of it so they've got different economic stimulus that are going into that region how is it we're able to understand what the economic stimulus is what are those skills of the future that's going to be needed for them and actually start planning for those because a lot of those skill sets are going to become increasingly based on technology skills whether that's hard skills in terms of developer, or whether that's soft skills in terms of who are the people who can really leverage that technology to to you know gain a a benefit for that region or for that organisation they're working for. So when I think about social value there are all sorts of different areas you can go into, but actually it's that how do we provide that equal opportunity and how do we get a skilling opportunity out that whether that person's going to come in and work for the local authority or whether that person's going to go and work for a local private sector organization startup start-up or, or larger, what does that pathway look like? And that's a really, really key thing for us that we're we're spending an awful lot of time working on at the moment.
0: Derek, as part of when you're interacting with clients, how big is so is is social value in the conversation in terms of when you're approached about an issue uh, that they're you know a client is experiencing within ICT, um, or when they come to you with an ambition as to what we're trying to achieve. How, how regularly is social value brought up? Or is something that as a supplier, you're trying to make yourself stand out by bringing social value up as part of your uh, strategy and approach?
2: So um, I think the answer is both of us really care about it. So when we, when you get into a conversation with a local authority, it's very rare that they're not interested in the society they serve. They, they pick that job for a reason, right? They're, they're absolutely born and bred, thinking about how they want to, how they can help their community. And this is their way of doing it by working at those, those local authorities. Um, we're the same way at Civica. We're absolutely bought into being a government technologies champion. We 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 measure ourselves by how many citizens we serve, not by how many pounds and pence we make. That's how we think about it. So social value is key to what bring, brings us to work um, every day as, as well as our, our partners at local authorities. So that match helps make the conversation a lot easier to talk about. So I'd say it's very rare that we have a conversation with local authority, but it doesn't start with some kind of purpose for being why they want to do it what's the social value that we're adding there um, so i think at the, at the very heart that's at the start of every conversation and then the next point usually covers into okay what are we measuring what was the original uh, set of data here and i don't want to be that guy that keeps saying data 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 over and over again but honestly you just can't get away from it if you don't have the data that drives how you're going to measure yourself and the success you have in, in the market or where you're going to get that data from or how you're going to share it it just won't work um there's some great um i'm one of those guys that reads lots of books um john doer measure what matters start with the data figure out which one how you want to measure success first so the conversations that i've had and i don't want to pick on any particular local authority but. Um, one of the ones we had where they they literally came in and said, this is what we wanna measure. We're gonna measure the number of people who don't die. It's like, wow, okay, great, super powerful. <laughs> uh, it, it really, it, it catalyzes the whole conversation. Now, what's the data that you're tracking that shows this here and how many children left unattended or uh, mold detection issues, that kind of stuff. We really then backtrack into the data that's driving the, the, uh, the insights and outcomes and the activity that we wanna go after. So um, yeah. It's 100 percent for us, at least like there are a lot of industries you can work in and might not have to have that um, social value quotient at the very top of your list. I think it's pretty much impossible to work and service citizens and local governments and not have that quotient absolutely high. It's really interesting,
0: and I think it's actually really reassuring. Both of you, obviously, experts in what you do, as part of the supply chain, supporting local authorities. But there is a clearly a real passion that you have for making a difference. It's not just a transactional, uh, making a fee. Robin, where does that come from for you? Because you know you work for a large corporate, you know, company, but there is clearly a passion to help. Where does that, where does that start with you? Where does that come from?
1: It's a great question. I mean, I, I think. The easy answer is you, certain people, certain character traits are attracted to working in certain sectors, right? I love working local government. I love raising money for charities. I, I think it's really important to to be giving back. Um, and I think, I think some of that has just been instilled in me, you know, from an early age. We did, you know, growing up, I had someone who was very close and actually a, a kind of part of my family who was... Uh, in the foster care system he came and lived with us on a regular basis you know and I think early on that just instilled in me that recognition that not everyone is as fortuitous as as everyone else and we need to be leaning back in and and that's just stuck with me and I think when I when I work in this sector the thing that makes me proudest of it is that I know that the work that we're doing is helping vulnerable members of society you know I know that I have family members which I won't you know Publicised, but had different interactions through through care through their life, and and knowing that we're serving a sector that drives so much good is really paramount to us. And that's why you know if you look at left and right, people who are working in the local government, to Microsoft, we are all volunteering left, right, and centre for you know extracurricular things that local authorities are trying to drive as well. It's it's a really ingrained part of of just the culture that we, we have. It's it's about you know, not so much the are we selling stuff, it's actually what, what are the outcomes it's driving. That's just super important for us.
0: And Derek as well. I mean, you, you're somebody that's obviously lived and worked in, in multiple countries. Um, you know, amazing experience for yourself. What drives you, you know, to work with Civica and to deliver these fantastic solutions?
2: Does that mean you picked up on my accent?
0: Slightly, Uh, in a slight giveaway. but uh. yeah. So
2: you you can tell, like I used to live in America. My my family is from Alabama. My father was a Southern Baptist preacher. I lived in a trailer. I saw firsthand what not having good social care constructs and and, um, support mechanisms looks like. Um, and I've, I'm now a British citizen. Got the passport handy here if you, if you need evidence of that. But um, yeah, I, I've, I've lived here for 12 years now, and this is my way of giving back too. I've, I see how great of an opportunity we have to be effective with tax dollars that are being put into into the community to make sure they're being uh, they can be used effectively to service those citizens who need it the most. It's um, it's not just me. I'm very lucky that whenever I joined Civica, which has been less than a year now, um, that was one of the things that attracted me. That everyone had that same set of values. Everyone, the executive team, the management structures, um, the people in HR, the people in marketing, they all care about this particular topic. So, um, uh, yeah, I agree, completely agree with Rob, and there are just um, we're we're talking to ourselves here. Everyone on this call, everyone on this podcast, and, and everyone at, at, at the company as well. We're we're all cut from the same cloth. We want to do this to uh, impact the lives of citizens across the UK and globally, actually. Um, but it's um it's part of who we are, and we're just getting to to do this for for a job. So it's a it's a great it's a great way to contribute, um, and still pay the mortgage.
0: So in terms of just so for everyone listening at home who is a chief executive or a CIO, if there was two pieces each, so four in total, a uh, piece of advice that you would give to your customers uh, to maximise the utilisation of how technology can transform local government and tackle the big challenges that lay ahead for them, what would they be? I'll start with Derek, give Robin a little bit of time to think, um, but what would your two pieces of advice be, Derek?
2: All right. I would start with um, having um, try to have an honest, open engagement with your partner, your vendors, whoever they are. Um, tell them what you want to solve for. And um, you don't have to worry about how or how much it costs or how long it takes yet. Start with what's the problem or what's the opportunity statement. And if your partners lean in and help you figure out a solution for it, fantastic. If they don't move on to someone else, that would be like my, my very first piece of advice. Find people who will engage with your strategic planning. Um, my, my second um, piece of advice would be look for ways to unlock the data you already have inside your own business. You, you, won't, you won't know it or you might actually know it already that you, there's some little doors that have been closed along the years or decades inside your, your, your local authority that are preventing pieces of data from being shared across one another. And they might be based on legacy theorems or ideas or legacy worries or risk about data sharing um evaluate that now because the, the local authorities i see that are making great inroads are, are the ones that have broken down some of those barriers that have gone up unexpectedly over the years between those groups and created data silos so those would be my, my two recommendations uh, talk openly with your vendor and if your vendor doesn't talk with you openly move on and uh if um if you've got data i'm sure you've got it segmented even if you didn't mean to so go look ways to unsegment and block it unblock it
0: And Robin, what would be your two points for customers to think about?
2: I think my two points probably
1: are actually fairly similar, but with an internal and an external lens. Um, We see phenomenal use cases of technology left, right and centre in the sector. Most most organisations have something that they've done that someone else hasn't, and they're doing it very, very well. But what we're often seeing is it's siloed. So there are two things, and I think they're, they're they're very much related. Firstly, how do you create an engine within your organisation to be sharing the best practices and the best knowledge that is coming out of one part of your business, and making sure other parts of the business are aware of how they've done that? Because for me, you know, I go back to you know, I think Derek mentioned there some of the the kind of data platforms. Actually, this is very true across whatever it is: case management, front doors. Uh, how you doing data? How you using collaboration tools? Like we see silos of excellence. And one of the reasons we see multiple procurements going on where people buy exactly the same capability of a different flavor in different department is because that sharing is not going on in it. The knowledge and the experience is captured and held within one silo business. So how do you elevate up the best use cases through your leadership teams so that people can say, hey, look, we did this thing that's really driven this outcome within our particular department. So other leaders across the organization can listen to that and go, do you know what? I might need to augment that, but that can solve something that we're currently grappling with. So think about how you do that internally. But then secondly, think about how you go and do that externally. Because the reality is in local government, we've got 300 plus local authorities who are all doing the same things, whether it's at a county level, a district level, or a unitary where they're doing all of that. you know. Everyone is delivering the same services. Look left to right. Engage in those forums where you can learn something from someone else and think about how that can you know, deliver a better outcome within your organization. Those, for me, are, are the keys here. When, whether it's Microsoft technology or another flavor of technology, understanding the best practice, how you replicate, and how you build on top of that is, is
0: absolutely key for me. Robin? Derek, thank you so much for your time today. It's been generally wonderful to speak to you. Thank you, Matthew. Same here, Matt. Thank you. You've been listening to the truth about local government. The IT supply chain is an incredibly important part of local authority support systems to try and deliver the needs of the community as we progress into what is going to be an increasingly challenging um, economic um, uh, situation. I want to thank both Robin and Derek for their authenticity and for the openness to share advice on how technology can transform local government and how it can help tackle some of the big challenges ahead, but also having the, the bravery and the honesty to really open up personally as well. It's been a really fantastic and, and authentic conversation, so thank you for listening at home. If you've enjoyed the conversation, please do like and share the podcast and please feel, reach, feel free to reach out to Robert Denton at Microsoft um, or Derek Wise at Civica uh, and finally, a thank you to Fintan Hastings uh, for um, helping put this podcast episode together much appreciated thank you for listening to the truth about local government podcast now 87 of listeners who enjoyed the podcast do not leave a review follow the podcast or share it please if you liked it review it share it and let's keep spreading the positive message about local government